Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Movie Digest. I am JQ. And I'm Finn. And this week is Top 5 Female Characters. You may be able to hear that it sounds a little bit different today because... This is a bit of a technical <laughs> exercise, which doesn't usually go right for us. Um, I am in Cornwall, and Finn is in our studios in Soho. Back at the HQ. Back at the HQ. Yeah, I'm on holiday, but I thought we'd do this anyway, just to give it a try. So that I'm recording this on my uh, laptop's microphone, that's why I sound a bit odd. But anyway, I should... I'll just let Finn do most of the talking anyway, so... <laughs> um, yeah, so we decided to do top five female characters, because last week was that story that... How many, what percentage was it that was females leads in films last year? Thirty-seven percent. I've got to pull uh, up the was, news article. No, no, no. I've I've got it here in front of me. So it was um, after reading this article in in the it was in the Independent newspaper, which was highlighting the decline in speaking roles for women in Hollywood movies. I pulled out a couple of the stats because it's quite shocking. Like when you read them. So according to the article, the hundred. High, uh, among the 100 highest grossing films at the US box office in 2012, just 28.4% of the 4,475 speaking characters were female, which seems that's a quarter. It's that's, not a lot. That's pathetic. And, and that's represented a fall from 32.8% from only three years ago. And also only 6% of the top grossing films in 2012 featured a balanced cast. So that's like a cast that's predominantly 50-50 between male and female. Mm. When they do get screen time, just above 30% of women are depicted wearing sexually revealing clothing from the films in 2012, which is the highest percentage over the five years since they started taking these surveys. And for teenage girls, the number who are provocatively dressed is even higher. Uh, 56% of teen girl characters in 2012 movies wore sexy clothes, an increase of 20% from 2009. This also comes off the back of um, the makers of Star Trek Into Darkness last week apologised for the scene that we'd uh, questioned a couple of weeks ago in the re- the special review podcast. You know, the scene where Alice Eve is wearing underwear for no apparent reason. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people apparently have been making noises about it. Yeah. So, uh, and apparently both J.J. Abrams and the writer, forget his name, uh, they both apologised for putting that in and said that there was also a scene that was cut with Benedict Cumberbatch in the shower. I was going to um, mention that. Have you seen that scene? I haven't seen the scene, but um, I heard all about it. And most of the people that I follow on Tumblr, there's like quite a lot of them are in the Benedict Cumberbatch kind of fandom. So yeah, there was a lot <laughs> of it posted on there. Yeah, I saw the thing on the Conan O'Brien clip. But basically, it's just him standing in the shower looking evil with some evil really? music. Yeah, that was about it, really. <laughs> with, the, with the water sexually dripping off him. Exactly. Yeah, but he looks pretty, uh, pretty ripped in there. I think he's had some maxi muscle. Do you reckon so? Yeah. Getting getting his protein. He sure takes his vitamins. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but we are, JQ, are we not? An equal opportunities podcast, uh, even if the are, movie industry isn't. We are 100% uh, male. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it's time to give women an equal status. So that's why we're reviewing our top five female characters. So without further ado, number five for me is uh, Hayden Panettiere from Bring It On 3, All or Nothing. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> uh, didn't I go first last time? You did go first. Would you like me to go first? Yeah, I'd like you to go first. Ladies first. Ladies first. Okay, well, here we go. Uh, number five for me was Mary Poppins from Mary ah, Poppins. That was going to be in my list, yeah. It was a close call between two of Julie Andrews' most iconic characters, 
the other one of course being Maria von Trapp from The Sound of Music but I think Mary Poppins just picked it because she's probably the sassiest Victorian nanny in screen history and a little bit evil as well if you've seen that recut trailer yeah yeah the scary mary trailer this is for those of you that haven't seen it it's a trailer that someone's recut of the actual footage from mary poppins but they've recut it to make it look like a horror film and it looks genuinely terrifying i also remember my sister taking umbrage at the fact that i referred once to mary poppins as a witch (laughs) she swiftly corrected me by informing me that she was in actual fact a magical nanny and not a witch there is a distinction between the two but i remember watching mary poppins as a kid and being equal parts terrified and encapsulated by mary poppins i thought she was just amazing because i don't i don't think i watched it as a kid my kids have watched it loads and loads of times but i don't remember watching it i remember watching it as a kid even even back then i thought that the graphics were incredible you know how they combined the um the the kind of drawn 2d element with with when they jump into the painting halfway through the film and stuff i I always thought that was amazing ever did that yeah, yeah, but they did it brilliantly. Like it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't look shoddy, and it, even now it kind of stands the test of time. So, so that's number five. Number four for me is Sarah Connor from ah. the Terminator films, played yeah, by Linda Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can probably tell where it's going to go. She's in here because of the journey she makes between the first two films, right? Because um, she's literally two different people in the Terminator movies. Because uh, in the first one, she's like this frightened, naive young female protagonist who's only kept alive by the skill and dexterity and presence of Reese, who's mm-hmm. sent back through time to save her. And then by the time you reach the second film, she's turned into this battle-hardened, badass, psycho bitch from hell, you know, who yeah. will stop at nothing to try and prevent Doomsday, even if that means sacrificing herself to protect her son. So. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty awesome kind of juxtaposition between the two films. So that's why she's in there. Uh, number three for me is Matilda from Leon. Ah, okay. I've kind of got this bugbear about child actors, you know, for the most part, especially the films that I watched growing up. Uh, they were and continue to this day to be absolutely dreadful. Example? Pretty much any film. Actually, if you look through Steven Spielberg's back catalogue, he mostly has dreadful child actors in there. Lex and Tim from Jurassic Park aside, but even then they, they're a little bit corny. Goonies is good. Well, the Goonies is great. I mean, these these are kind of uh, the exceptions that prove the rule, I think. You know, all these like sickly sweet Christmas films or yeah, just pretty much any of the kids' films that I remember growing up. I never liked any of the kids that were in it. It's because you were jealous, wasn't it? Well, maybe there's probably something to do with that. <laughs> But it does make for a pleasant surprise when you watch a film, particularly one where, you know, a child has such a big role in the film and they perform it brilliantly. And I think Natalie Portman's absolutely sensational as Matilda in in that film. She brings, you know, the perfect duality between the amount of bite she has to bring and the amount of nativity that she has to bring to the role without ever appearing to kind of overham it or understate it at any point in the film. Yeah. And to me, it's it's definitely one of the best performances by a young actor in, in a Hollywood movie. It's one of the few things, sorry, it's one of the many things that I think um, European and world cinema does very well. They tend to pick children not based on, you know, how precocious the parents were at the, uh, at the audition. They pick yeah. them on the actual acting talent. So there are numerous examples of, uh, of, of other non-Hollywood movies where the child actors are actually very good. But this is one of the few ones, I think, where they, where, of a Hollywood film where the child actor is brilliant in it. And you can see she's talented even back then and how she's progressed as an actress to, you know, eventually win the Academy Award for Black Swan a couple of years ago. So 
think she was slightly better in Matilda in Leon than she was in Star Wars, though. Uh, probably, yeah. But <laughs> is that is that because the script and the character was so good in Leon compared to yeah. Princess Padme Amidala yeah. from Star Matilda. Wars? <laughs> Matilda. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so m- moving down the list to number two, the silver medal. This goes to Amélie Poulain uh, yeah. from Amélie. I haven't seen that. Uh, hashtag i haven't seen that (laughs) it is absolutely wonderful it is a wonderful wonderful film which is absolutely wonderful there's something completely enthralling like almost hypnotic kind of magical about ojitatu's character in that movie she's like indescribably sweet in nature indeed and if you aren't won over by amelie by the end of the movie you've probably got a lump of coal where your heart should be and to me as well she's like she's like this ultimate indie girl you know she's like quirky a bit offbeat a little odd different fascinated by the stranger and more bizarre things in life and she's the kind of fulfillment of the type of character that like you know zoe de chanel or any of the other hollywood indie characters would be in in those kind of roles which usually promise a lot but never deliver you know like summer finn from 500 days of summer who's just pretty much a kind of bitch by the end of the movie so yeah but this moves us on to number one (laughs) <laughs> I think you can guess who it is. What's it, is it going to be some sort of Batman-related girl? No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> it is. It, it, it could, for me, there's no dispute whatsoever. It had to be Ellen Ripley from the Alien ah, franchise. Ah, yes. Sorry, I should have thought of that one. <laughs> I just think she's the ultimate female character in any movie franchise. Today, when I was when I was picking out this top five, I was kind of struggling to think of any other complete movie franchise where the main character is a female protagonist over the whole kind of main story arc apart from resident, resident evil, evil. Yeah. but i think the less said about that the better yeah. to be what honest about species again <laughs> really species and I, I if you look at it as well i think both of those well it, certainly in terms of the story from species but the character from resident evil you can see a lot of similarities between ripley from alien i think yeah. i i just think she's so brilliant in the role Sigourney Weaver uh, kind of similar in, in, in a sense to Linda Hamilton because from the first film she's not quite as naive but she is you know still slightly of an unsure of herself albeit a kind of experienced crew member on board the Nostromo but then she changes to this powerful kind of mother figure and action hero in Aliens and although Alien 3 and Resurrection aren't you know brilliant films she's still such a significant character that she I think she still kind of holds the whole franchise together in the story so yeah, so that's that's my top five with Ripley, Queen of the Castle. Nice. Well, we only have uh, one crossover. Oh, that that's impressive. I yeah. thought we'd have a lot more. So I th- yeah, hit, I thought I'd keep me away with from it. any Batman references because <laughs> uh, but my number five is Matilda. So we've crossed over. Okay. Though. Okay. okay. Uh, number four is Mindy Hitgirl McCready in Kickass. It's a good choice. She wasn't far off being on my list as well. Yep. Yeah. Uh, are are they all kind of like un? under 12s that are on your list or? no this is the only one okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's not only if it's a good female sort of <laughs> i don't really want to say role model because <laughs> you don't want any young girls doing that but yeah not only is she a good female character but she's also <laughs> just an amazing character in general for what she says for what comes out of the mouth of this sort of 13 year old girl <laughs> it's quite unbelievable and all the moves that she's got would you care to give some of the examples of her speech 
Uh, maybe not in this uh, family-orientated <laughs> Family podcast. Family-friendly podcast. <laughs> no, you can guess what she says. <laughs> My number three, mm-hmm. you're going to groan at this, Jessica Rabbit. I'm not going to groan at that at all, no. <laughs> uh, I actually had a massive crush on Jessica Rabbit, didn't we all, yep. back in the day? Have you ever seen the um, uh, people that dress up as Jessica Rabbit in real life? What, the cosplayers, yeah. like at the comic cons and stuff? Yes, I have, yeah. And we can leave that there. Yeah, we'll that <laughs> uh, number two, got to be Vespa Lynn from Casino Royale. Oh, that's a great shout. Of course it is. Now, now why Vesper above any other Bond girl, JQ? Well, <laughs> she, she had probably, she's probably the best Bond girl because she actually had a proper role in it because she was also a bad guy as well. Yeah. Essentially. So she, it was, she wasn't just a Bond girl. It was um, much more than that. She, yeah, exactly. She wasn't just there as one of kind of Bond's floozies. Exactly. Or like as a kind of plot... Well, she was there as a plot point, but she was a, a, an evidently strong and distinguishable character. And obviously the legacy of Vesper carries on to the movies beyond that as well, yeah. which is something that very few Bond girls can say about their characters. I don't think any Bond girl's been in a sequel, have they? I don't think. Uh, was Pussy Galore in more than one of them? I don't think so. Was she only in one? I can't think. Yeah, other recurring characters in Bond, apart from Jaws and... M and Q. Oh, there's also uh, what if Valeri, ah, uh, Robbie Coltrane's character. He's in. He's oh, in more yeah, than so one as well. <laughs> and Felix Leiter. Felix, of course. Yeah, yeah. That's about it, really, isn't it? Oh, Blofeld's in a number of films as yes, well. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Different actresses, but yeah, different. The same character. But yeah. The, the only Bond girl that's been in a sequel, even though it was just a sort of a video message or pictures, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. In the second one. And, right, so my number one... Drum roll. <laughs> Mia Wallace from Pulp Fiction. Mrs. Mia Wallace. Mrs. Mia Wallace. <laughs> now, why is she queen of your castle? Why is she at the top of the pile? Well, just because it's just got great dialogue, because it's a Tarantino film, obviously. Um, iconic movie cover. Yeah. Her sitting on the bed reading the thing and... Um, it is cigarette. one of the most quintessential movie posters of all time, isn't it? Exactly. There's a blog recently about um, the other movie posters that didn't make the cut. Oh, okay. Um, some of them were book covers rather than her reading a book. Ah, right. Okay. Uh, okay. So, <clears throat> yeah, so, so Mia Wallace is my favourite because um, yeah, just an enjoyable role to watch on screen. She is absolutely brilliant in that role. And of course, that was the thing. She, she became Tarantino's muse from that point on, went on yeah. to make Kill Bill 1 and 2. Yeah. And there's also, there's a little reference to Kill Bill, even in Pulp Fiction. You know, the Explain. the um, the TV pilot that she was cast in, Mia Wallace. Oh, uh, yeah. It's about five female assassins. Yeah. And if you look through them, there's actually quite a lot of them that are referenced in Kill Bill. If you look at the similarities between the oh, characters okay, yeah. and their character descriptions and stuff like that. Nice. So that's worth checking out. Very good. That's a, that's a great top five. Um, I actually find this, uh, I say this every week, but I find it really hard because there were so many other great female characters out there. Uh, Mia Wallace was very close. Um, Hit Girl was very close. There were another couple of ones that I, I was so close to putting in there. Marge Gunderson from Fargo, I think, is incredible. Yeah, I saw that one. I thought you put that in there. Nah, it, it, she just missed out. One of my personal favourites from last year, even, uh, Ruby Sparks from the movie Ruby Sparks. I haven't seen I that. I absolutely loved her character. She was great. Played by Zoe Kazan. If you haven't seen that, definitely check it out. And also a character called Celine, who's from Before Sunrise and Before Sunset, played by Julie Delpy. Oh, those three movies that you keep going on about that no one's ever heard of, apart from you. Uh, no, they're great. <laughs> Richard Linklater directed them. Come on. 
And also as well, you don't want to know how close I was to putting Jesse, voiced by Joan Cusack from Toy Story no, 2. I was thinking there. about that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, like, I'm always completely heartbroken when she sings uh, that song. I know it's not her singing it, Sarah McLaughlin, but when, you know, when Jesse's story, when somebody loved me, like, that's absolutely tragic. It's such a beautiful song. So yeah, but that was, they were close to getting in, but not, not quite in there. Good old Pixar trying to make us cry in the cinema. There you go. That's our top five for this week. So, time for some movie news, I think. So, I thought it would be cool to start off the news section by um, doing a little bit of a Cannes Cannes special. Because Cannes Cannes Film Ah, Festival's just finished. Um, So, I made a a, a jingle. I want to get your reaction to (laughs) it. Bearing in mind it's called Cannes Special. Is it Kahan? (laughs) No, um, it could be. (laughs) <laughs> but just hold on to your horses. Um, so here we go. This is our Cannes special 2013. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anybody's ever made that joke before, but just because Star Trek Into Darkness has just come out, I thought it might be quite good fun to have. Is that the theme tune to a low, a low? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> nice intro. Thank you. One of the films that I was really, really looking forward to, I think I've shown you the trailer for it, which caused a bit of a stir, is Nicholas Finding Refn's new film, Only God Forgives. It's the kind of sort of not quite a sequel to Drive, starring Ryan Gosling. Well, I heard some hoo-ha about this. But apparently it's, uh, some people are saying it's, you know, his magnus opus. Other people are saying it's terrible. It's overly violent. Ryan Gosling only has something like 17 lines of dialogue in the entire film and it's about two hours. It sounds like me in this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So that's been causing a bit of a stir, but I can't wait for that to come out. They just released a a trailer for the soundtrack today. Uh, So going, if, if the soundtrack for drives anything to go by it was absolutely amazing other films to look out for when they come out here in the next couple of months which have done quite well the coen brothers new film uh, inside lewin davis which is kind of like a road movie about a struggling folk singer uh, this ended up taking the the grand prix uh, which is essentially the the kind of silver medal the runner-up prize right so what's the big prize called the palme d'or oh right which was won by a french movie the English title is Blue is the Warmest Colour. Its native French title is <clears throat> La Vie d'Adèle, Chapter 1 et 2. Oh, c'est bon. Merci beaucoup. Mathilde. <laughs> Mathilde. <laughs> so that took the, the palm d'or uh, from the jury, which was headed by one Steven Spielberg. Ooh. Uh, apparently it was a bit of a, an outsider to win the top title because of its uh, graphic lesbian sexual content. But the three-hour-long coming-of-age love story won out in the end. Uh, other winners were... Uh, another film that I'm really looking forward to is Alexander Payne's new movie, Nebraska. Alexander Payne directed one of my favourite films of all time, Sideways. Yeah. Uh, and he also directed Election. But again, this is a kind of road movie, which is all about family trying to exercise the ghost of the past. And Bruce Dern is the, the lead actor in it, and he won the Best Acting Award for Cannes 2013 for his performance in that, so that's worth checking out. I don't know if you've seen the trailer for another film that made a, a big impact called Behind the Candelabra. Oh, with Michael Douglas's Liberace. Yeah, indeed. Have you seen the trailer for it? 
Uh, he was on Graham Norton the other day, so I saw some bits and bobs. It looks fairly interesting, but I don't know enough about Liberace to actually... I know Liberace was a bad guy in the original 1960s Batman TV series. Was he? Yeah. <laughs> no way. I <laughs> yeah, he's in a double episode. I remember watching it thinking, I recognise that guy from somewhere, and seeing his name in the title, like, Liberace. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I didn't know that. Groundbreaking <laughs> trivia here on the Movie Digest. <laughs> But that, that looks quite good. It's got Matt Damon in it as Liberace's muse, and it's directed by Steven Soderbergh, so that, that looks quite interesting. One film that I'm really, really looking forward to is Jim Jarmusch's new movie called Only Lovers Left Alive, which sounds awful because it's a vampire romance, but then you look at the cast and it's got Tilda Swinton, Mia Vasikowska, who was in uh, Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland, John Hurt and Tom Hiddleton, who was Loki in The Avengers, so... Pretty decent uh, cast. Two out of four is not bad. <laughs> I would say which two. But that looks good. So, uh, yeah, also, there, there was uh, kind of divided opinion for Sofia Coppola's new movie, The Bling Ring. And uh, one, one further film to look out for that everybody was talking about is a film by first time director Ryan Coogler called Fruitvale Station, which was the grand prize winner at Sundance Film Festival. And it's about the, the true story of an unarmed man shot and killed by an Oakland police officer in 2009 in the States. So yeah, that's a kind of very brief roundup of the uh, the movers and shakers at Cannes this year. Nice. Maybe we'll do a movie digest from Cannes one day. Oh, that'd be good fun, wouldn't that'd it? That'd be amazing. Oh, he, oh, he, oh. Uh, I've got, well, just been trawling the uh, news websites. Apparently Tom Cruise has left the man from Uncle to head up his uh, involvement in Mission Impossible 5. Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a shame because uh, I I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I was a massive fan of the TV show The Man from Uncle. Yeah. So I thought it was cool that someone that big was attached to it. So yeah, it's a bit disappointing, but I'm sure they'll be able to get someone else in. It's is Matthew Vaughn attached to it? Uh, I think he was. Yeah. Or is it I Guy Ritchie that's doing it? I don't know what he's doing if he's involved in it or not. But I was thinking about this the other day. Um, you can take any think nowadays that was a bit crappy in camp like Batman from the 60s Star Trek from the 60s and make them yeah. really good and realistic like the new Star Trek and the new Batman film so even though you say Old oh, Man from Uncle that was a load of rubbish you can make it as good as anything that is out there now exactly but then there's also the potential for them to do a Sweeney to it as well yes I might so just that's... watch the Sweeney just to see what it's like you just want to watch it because Ray Winston's in it don't you yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um our friend Toby Jones is back in Captain America 2. Oh, okay. He was in he was he in the first Captain America. Yeah, he was the Nazi scientist that helped him out. Of course he was. Yeah, he was a Nazi scientist uh, who was originally helping Hugo Weaving's Red Skull. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but obviously there's been a bit of a passage of time between the first and the second films. Indeed. And apparently he might be coming back as a giant robot. Oh. That's apparently what he does in the comics. Oh, that'd apparently. be interesting. Not that I'm a comic book nerd or anything. I don't really know Marvel as well, so no. I can't you're, comment. You're a DC man. You? I'm a DC boy. <laughs> so something else that might you might be really excited about. Mm-hmm. Steven Seagal in Expendables 3. Oh. <laughs> it's basically what action stars are left alive that we can get into this one, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Would they be getting Steven Seagal to do all of his scenes and recite the lines, but then the body double to do all of his action stunts as he does in all of his films nowadays? I would imagine so. I'd imagine yeah. so. What other action stars are around that haven't been in Expendables yet? Uh, Jackie Chan was one that I saw that was ah, attached to it, potentially. Yeah. Mr. T? Mr. T would be great, I'd yeah. Be awesome. I'd love to see Mr. T in that. No, I think they've they, they got pretty much everybody in the first two. Because uh, you even had Chuck Norris doing his cameo 
in the second one. Yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Telling an inverse inside joke of yeah. uh, a Chuck Norris joke, that was brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, speaking of uh, cast and crew of The Expendables, I saw a story last week that Universal apparently want to reboot Time Cop. Of course, a classic Jean-Claude Van Damme film. Yeah, I saw that as well. Again, if they do it a la Batman and Star Trek, it could be great, but... I think so. But the thing is, I, I like the original Time Cop because I know it's like a kind of like you know, trashy action film, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a classic and it's definitely one of the more palatable Van Damme films. Cause he has made quite a bit of dross in his time. Yeah. I was thinking back my absolute favorite Van Damme film. I don't know if you've seen this is a uh, hard target directed by John Woo. Uh, what happens in that one? He beats some people up. Yeah, basically. Um, it's got one of my favorite romantic scenes of any film ever. It's where he's basically running through a, a forest away from these bad guys. So they're chasing them the whole time and they're catching up and they're catching up. But there's one bit where they take a moment to take stock of their situation. And the woman, I'll, I'll post this on the on the Facebook page for people to see because it's one of my favorite scenes ever. He tells this woman, he turns her around and he's like, close your eyes. And she's like, why do you want me to trust you with my eyes closed? And she's just like, close your eyes. And you think, oh, he's going to lean in for a kiss here like an absolute bro. But no, it's to keep her calm while a massive rattlesnake comes over her shoulder. <laughs> and he grabs it. And there's like this slow-mo and like this great kind of like jungle music playing. And then what he does is he takes a snake in his hand and he punches the snake <laughs> and, knock, and knocks it out. It's absolutely incredible. Amazing. And then you can hear the rattle still going. He bites the rattle off with his, uh, with his mouth. And leaves it as a trap for um, the kind of bad guys coming up behind them. Amazing. I did something similar in Epping Forest once. Oh, did you? <laughs> <laughs> With an adder. An adder. It's not quite the same as a, as a 20 foot long rattlesnake. I don't think they even exist. They're not that big in real life. <laughs> no. Yeah. So what else have you got? Uh, two other quick news stories. One, this just, oh, I love this guy. So there was, um, there was a story today that Sir Christopher Lee of pretty much every film ever made ever yeah. who's the bad guy celebrated his 91st birthday yesterday by releasing his second heavy metal album yeah i saw that it's unbelievable really <laughs> have you heard the clip no do you want to hear it Go on, then. i think this sounds like the kind of music that you might actually quite enjoy <laughs> here we go it all ended in death and destruction these were omens Omens of death. How good does that sound? Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> They should do some uh, Star Trek CGI where they get him to actually play the guitar. I know, how good would that be? <laughs> Count Dooku just shredding like crazy. That would be amazing. <laughs> uh, there was one other cool bit of news this week that I saw as well, which is apparently Steven Spielberg, fresh from his duties at Cannes on the jury, is to produce a Halo series for Xbox Live. Ah, uh, yes, I heard about this. I, I don't know if they were releasing this news story to try and liven up the kind of surrounding of the launch of the uh, the Xbox One, which looks pretty wank, to be perfectly honest. No, it looks alright. Mm, uh, it's it. It doesn't. It's got a Blu-ray drive in it. 
Yeah, yeah. That's, that's about the one thing. I don't think it quite looks next-gen enough to be a next-gen console, if that makes sense. Like, there's not a drastic amount between it and... Well, it does 4K. But again, like, we don't, we don't even use 4K. <laughs> well, not yet, anyway. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Well, when, when we get one in the office, I'm sure we won't complain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There were a couple of trailers that came out this week which looked quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Obviously, since since the last pod came out, there was the full international trailer for The World's End. Yeah, I've just played that to Naomi. She said, oh, I'm not interested in that. And then I started playing it so I could watch it myself. And she was started to lean around the side of the laptop to have a look. It looks way better than from the kind of teaser one that they released the other week, I thought. Because yeah. you get a bit more of the dialogue and the characters and the jokes and stuff like that. It, it left me feeling that it's going to definitely be one of the better films of the summer, I think. I would have been more pleased if they'd kept it a secret that they were robots. Yeah, because you even have to look at the, the movie poster to see that it's a kind of like, you know, invasion of the bo- body snatchers type. The whole town's been infected or are yeah. robots or something, which is a bit annoying. Unless they're doing a double bluff. They could be doing. Uh, at what point do you think Sean's going to appear and Sergeant <laughs> Nicholas Angel? How good would that be? <laughs> the ultimate end to the Cornetto trilogy. No, but I, I thought it looked good. Also as well, there have been two new Man of Steel trailers that have been released since the big epic one a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And the first one was this kind of like much darker one focusing on General Zod and that whole backstory, uh, which looked incredible, like much darker, much more brutal than the kind of like story of hope one are you going to tell our listeners your general zod story what's my general zod oh yeah i I can't believe i forgot this so yeah jq and i of an afternoon we kind of like to uh, just have a bit of a break (laughs) at at work at work (laughs) no we don't we don't hook up every day um at work we usually take a break kind of mid-afternoon for cake and coffee and uh, one of our favourite uh, places to get cake from is this wonderful little tea shop just around the corner from our work called Yum Cha, which is in the middle of Soho, which is absolutely brilliant. And the staff in there are lovely. If you ever visit in London, definitely check it out because they have the best cakes. Anyway, I went in there, just quite the thing. Uh, last week, I think it was, walked in, ordered some cakes, turned around while uh, it was being served. And there, sitting in front of me by himself, just quite the thing, passing the time of day, having a cup of tea, was Terence Stamp, the original General Zod from Superman 2 and Superman. I would have given you £100 if you'd knelt before him. (laughs) I was tempted. I was completely (laughs) tempted to kneel before him. But my uh, decorum got the better of me and I just uh, politely gawked and then took my cakes and went out the store. So... It's been weird. Like, I've lived in London for like three and a half years and I've barely seen anybody famous. And then in the last like two or three weeks, I've seen Richard Ayoade from the IT crowd and Mighty Bush, Julian Barrett from the Mighty Bush and Nathan Barley that saw Toby Jones on the, the underground a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah, Will Smith. I was at a Q&A with Will Smith wow, last yeah, you week. You did see him on the street, but yeah. How was that? No, I didn't Q&A? see him on the street. Yeah, it was, it was awesome, actually. I didn't know what to expect because it was for After Earth and I've seen a trailer and it looks, eh, looks, looks okay. Um, I had no idea it was directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Who actually I've got a lot of time for. I know he gets crapped on by a lot of people, but I, I quite like most of his films. Or at least the ideas behind them anyway, maybe not the execution. But um, yeah, I, I got managed to get tickets for a free screening for uh, for a Q&A. And, and there was like a 15-minute screening. The film doesn't look great, but Will Smith is just one of the coolest people, I think, ever. If, if you haven't seen the, him from Graham Norton this weekend where he did uh, the 
the Fresh Prince rap with their Carlton and the dance and everything. Yeah, me and Naomi were watching that live. That was quite funny. It was awesome. Absolutely awesome. Yeah, that was what we should do. If we see someone from a film, you should post it on the uh, <clears throat> Movie Digest Twitter feed and at them as well. See if they reply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be good, actually. Amazing. Amazing. So, anything else for me? One other trailer that I did see, actually, which looked really cool, is um, the directorial debut of Joseph Gordon-Levitt from 500 Days of Summer. Ah. It's a film called Don John, and I'd read the description and I was like, I don't know if that really sounds my thing, but I saw the trailer and it looks really interesting. It's got a really good cast with Scarlett Johansson, plays his love interest in it. Uh, the support cast escaped me at the moment, but they were all kind of like these uh, really good character actors and stuff. Is he directing himself? Yeah, and he's the main character. So he plays this kind of typical guy from New York and the things that he cares about, this is repeated over and over in the trailer. He's like, my body, my car, my crib, my family, my church, my boys, my girls, and my porn. What's well, like he's in the room with us. <laughs> but the, the last thing he always says is his porn. And so I think it's partly to do with his kind of struggle with an addiction to it at the same time as having this seemingly you know perfect lifestyle around about it and stuff and how that kind of affects his relationship with his girlfriend and stuff sounds a bit seedy but honestly if you watch a trailer it looks a lot more highbrow than that and it just looks quite interesting so that looks like it's going to be worth checking out so nice. yeah I, th I guess that kind of ends we should have this section called trailer watch or something trailer I don't watch, know. Yeah. but yeah so that, that's all the stuff i saw this week but. nice obviously i've been on holiday so i haven't been able to see any films um what have you watched so this weekend I did manage to make it out. It was a beautiful bank holiday weekend. I spent most of it, as much as I could, outdoors enjoying the sunshine, pointing up at the big yellow thing in the sky going, what's that? <laughs> yeah, me and the kids were on the beach for two days in a row. That was great. Nice, nice. Um, but I did manage, when it was a little bit overcast on Saturday morning, I went to see The Hangover Part 3. So, is this good, bad or indifferent? It's bad. Oh. <laughs> it's very, very bad. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Yeah, it's um, it's like most, the vast majority of Hollywood sequels these days, it's just got absolutely none of the charm of the original. I loved the original. In fact, I think I put it in my top five comedy films of all time. I think you did. A couple of weeks ago. I absolutely love it. I think it's brilliant. It's so funny and witty and just, it's a great story. You know, great script, really funny, great gags played out with perfect timing, cool cast. And in the second one, whilst being an absolute carbon copy, it's just absolutely terrible. And this one is just, it's absolutely dire. Just before I start, I, I said to somebody that I thought it was terrible just over the weekend and they kind of pulled me up for it because they've listened to a few of the shows and like quite a few of the weeks, uh, you know, I moan about sequels and remakes and how much time is given to these things. But yet, like last week, you know, I'd said Fast and the Furious 6 was, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, that's hypocritical. And I was like, well, no, because if you view these films objectively, um, I think the Fast and the Furious franchise has never stopped being enjoyable or fun. They are completely silly and overblown, but they never take themselves seriously. And it's one of those films that is stupid, but it comes out the other end just being like a kind of brilliant popcorn experience. You know, they always give the enjoyment the audience an enjoyable experience a bit like the expendables yeah, well, yeah i think so as well you know they're not the greatest films ever made but i defy you to find too many people who go into it having enjoyed the previous films obviously i think that's maybe maybe a prerequisite but that come out categorically hating it um i, I just think this film and the hangover 2 they're different you know they're sequels to a 
film that was immensely enjoyable on its first sighting, but it's just so lazily approached for the sequels. It it would have been better if they'd never been made at all. It's that bad. That bad. They wasted the uh, cars that they shoot shot it on. Exactly, exactly. I mean, one thing, thankfully they stay clear of the second carbon copy sequel of the first film. You know, like the kind of uh, flashback, wake up from the night before, oh, what happened? Uh-huh. We need to try and retrace our steps. Um, this one plays out much more like a kind of straightforward action slash black comedy kind of caper film. But that's one of the few things that's good with it. The script is really, really poor, largely unfunny, and almost every single scene and set play goes on way too long and much longer than it should. The gags are lazy and predictable, and pretty much all the best bits are given away in the trailer as well. And also, from the trailer they made it look like the whole thing was going to be set in Vegas again, which kind of got me a bit excited because obviously the whole first film set in Vegas, but actually it's really only the final act of the film, like the final third, which is set there. Ah, so where's the rest of it set? Well, it's set kind of all over, like in Mexico, Tijuana and California and stuff. So I, because I was waiting for it to get back to Vegas, I was just bored waiting for these other scenes to play out and finish, oh. um, which is two thirds of the movie. So I think that contributed to why I thought it was boring. Yeah, it was just, it was dire. One other point that I feel like I should make to anybody that's thinking of going to see it, um, I, I, not a lot of other critics or any people that reviewed the movie have picked up in this, but I thought this was a massive point. Right, so I, I'm just going to prerequisite this by saying I'm not a massive fan of animals in general. And by <laughs> by no way am I a, like, you know, like a PETA activist or um, an apologist for, for animal lovers or anything. But there seemed to me in this film to be a huge amount of gratuitous violence towards animals. And I know they kind of riff on that in the first two films. Obviously, in the first film, they steal and kind of uh, drug one of Mike Tyson's tigers. Yeah. But that's all worked into quite well into the script and no harm comes to the tiger. And in the second film, uh, there's this little monkey that Alan adopts for much of the film as his own. And, you know, these these aren't spoilers. This is just part of the thing. Yeah. But just for anybody who is a... fan you know a big animal fan or like uh, an animal rights person to be made aware of this because in the first five minutes of this film you see a giraffe graphically decapitated on the motorway oh on screen i yeah on screen they kind of allude to it in the trailer but it's the no holds barred when they show what happens to this poor animal at the start of the film and then later on uh there's a chicken that's suffocated to death with a pillow again pretty graphically And there are two dogs, albeit off screen, who have their necks snapped by one of the baddies. And I just find the whole thing quite unsavoury. Like it wasn't for any real comedic purpose or it was just, it was pretty... So it's not as good as Schwarzenegger when two dogs run up and when he uh, smashes the two together, a la two (laughs) Not quite like that. I I think, because obviously with all these things, it is a film. Obviously no animals were hurt. But just the way that they went about it, it seemed incredibly gratuitous to me. So I wasn't a fan of that. But anyway, I'm, I'm not going to keep ranting on. Hopefully the trilogy's dead. They won't make any more. <laughs> and I, honestly, if, you, if you're thinking of going to see this and spend your hard-earned cash on this at the box office, I'd urge you to reconsider and see Star Trek or Fast 6 or Iron Man 3, literally anything else that's out at the moment. Because even if you're morbidly curious about it, wait until it's at least on Love Film or even better yet on Channel 5 in about three years time <laughs> so that you don't have to pay for it because it is absolutely terrible. So there you go. That, that's that's my tuppence worth on The Hangover 3. 
Brilliant. We need to work out a star rating, don't we? We do. Uh, we don't have to start with that one because it wouldn't get any stars. I don't think. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe it's not. It's not the worst film I've ever ever seen. So that's maybe like one and a half stars or something. What is the worst film you've ever seen? We did go through this once, didn't we? We uh, no, we we went through my five worst films of last year. Ah, yeah. Um, but I think we should save this for a future week. Our yeah. five worst films of all time the five films we hate more than any other <laughs> just pour all of our scorn out in one specific dedicated section rather than opening up that whole can of worms now brilliant right that's it for this episode of the movie digest hopefully you've been able to understand what i've been saying with my poor recording skills um i've been jq and i've been finn see you later bye, bye.